Well, our text this evening is Lord's Day 21, but as we prepare to look to that, I'd like to read with you Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62. Now, this section of Isaiah, God has already broken the news to Israel that they're going to be exiled. They're going to suffer the consequence of continually turning against him. But he's comforting them with the reminder that the exile will not be the end, that God's faithfulness doesn't come to a close just because his people have sinned. And this is part of that. And what he's doing here in chapter 62 is reminding them that despite the fact that they've sinned, despite the fact that Their sin has brought consequences. God loves them. God delights in them. They are His people. That is their identity. And that's something the church needs to to remember at all times. That our identity is bound up with being loved by the Lord, being precious in His sight. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You, will be, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the people. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out and a city not forsaken. Amen. Now, Lord's Day 21 asks us three questions. Last week, we, uh, we asked, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? We considered, uh, really, who the Spirit is and the essence of what He does. But now with Lord's Day 21, we look at the work of the Spirit. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? And the answer is, I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith 
And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of the saints? First, that believers one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of all the other members. And what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, by His grace, God grants to me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into judgment. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, I mentioned last week that although Lord's Day 20 is the only place where our catechism explicitly focuses on the Holy Spirit, Lord's Days 21 and 22 speak of the work of the Spirit, and really the work of the Spirit is infused throughout our catechism because His work is essential to the life of God's people. We find the same in the Apostles' Creed, which the Catechism is focusing on here. It shows us, first, what we confess about the Father, then what we confess about the Son, and then, having confessed the Holy Spirit, what we believe about His work. That's what we're focusing on this evening. What does it mean to confess together that we believe the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. When we confess that, we're confessing the work of the Spirit. But that's not, it mustn't be an academic confession. Just something that we theologically know and understand so that we can mark the right things on the catechism quiz when we're children or teenagers and then be done with it. This is who we are. This is our confession of what God has done to make us the people that we are. This is our confession of how God sees us, how God regards us, and therefore how we must regard ourselves if we're to appreciate and really benefit from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what we see this evening as we look at these truths is that God the Holy Spirit is the one who gathers and in gathering unites the people of God. And brothers and sisters, that is essential in this day and age. For all of the identity politics and identity focus groups out there, I don't know that there has ever been a time when the people of our nation have been so fractured and individualized. They're individualized and separated by, by politics, by workplace, by sports teams, but especially by media, electronics. What do folks do when they have a few spare minutes, when they have a few moments of boredom? Do they go and, and speak to someone else? Do they go and build that human connection? No. Pull up the phone. They start scrolling. They bury themselves in themselves. 
And so they're surrounded by people, but they're alone, radically alone. It's no coincidence that as the accessibility of media has exploded, so, has, so have the incidents of depression and anxiety. They're connected. Because we're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be isolated from the people around us. And as we are, we lose our identity, we lose our purpose, we lose our strength. And God doesn't want that. That's why He didn't just save us and leave us on our own. He saved us to gather us as the church, as the kingdom, as the body of Christ. And that, my friends, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we ignore that reality. We ignore that identity at our own peril. God, the Holy Spirit, gathers God's chosen people. That's the heart of His work. And as He gathers God's people, He gathers them, first of all, as the kingdom that enjoys God's favor. That's our first point. Now, what do we mean by a kingdom? What exactly is, what defines a kingdom? Ultimately, a kingdom is a community of those who share a common identity, isn't it? People who belong to the same kingdom, they share the same goals and purposes. They have allegiance together to the same king. They fight together against the same enemies. And they pursue together the same goals. As members of the kingdom of God, that means that God the Father is our Father. And that Jesus has become our King. And that's what we see throughout Scripture, isn't it? Psalm 2, God says that He has set His Son. I, today I have begotten you, and He sets Him on His throne, and He assures Him that He will conquer all of those who stand against, not just Him, but His people. Psalm 110 says that He reigns at the right hand of the Father until He has put all His enemies under His feet. Jesus is the King, and we are His servants. And as we strive to obey our King and to seek the glory of our Father... We find our identity together in that kingdom. Understand, that is all the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gathers us in to the kingdom. He does so not the way Jesus did when He was on earth, going personally to each individual and calling them to follow Him, to become fishers of men, to learn from Him. But He does that by raising up His disciples that already follow Him. Injecting them into the lives of others and using them through their testimony, through their witness, through their work to draw others to know the Lord. He uses His disciples, He uses the Word which reveals to us the ugliness of our sin, the isolation that we have as long as we remain in our sin, the misery of standing opposed to God, but also the great promise that Jesus has overcome our sin and our misery and our isolation, that He's able to restore us to God and bring us into something far better, infinitely better. But the disciples and the Word, they're not enough because we're hard-hearted. When we as disciples go to those who don't yet know the Lord, we can't we can't know what their background is. We can't know all their hurts. We can't soften their hearts toward hope. But that's the work of the Spirit. 
He's the one who makes it all effective. He's the one who gives them eyes to see that disciple before them and the joy that that disciple holds. He's the one who gives them hearts to understand the truth of the word that we speak to them and the desperate need they have for that which the word proclaims. He's the one who sets in their, desire, their heart first the desire for something new and then the faith that receives that something new. He plants that faith within them and draws them in. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who ultimately is the ambassador who draws us in to the kingdom. We heard in Psalm 62. Go, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people. Build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. He's talking about taking a people that are scattered throughout all the world and gathering them back, drawing them together back into unity before the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who draws us together as a people, not just geographically, but spiritually. He unites us. It's the Spirit. He's been doing this from the start. It was the Spirit who taught Abel to love God and to give him a proper sacrifice. It was the Spirit who who taught Seth and Enoch and Noah to seek God by faith. It was the Spirit who drew Abram to himself and taught him to trust in the Lord. And then through Abraham drew Isaac and through Isaac drew Jacob and through Jacob drew the patriarchs and through the patriarchs drew all the saints of the Old Testament age. That was all the work of the Spirit. And today, the Spirit is doing the same thing with people from all over the earth, from all of the families descended from Noah. He gathers them, He unites them into one kingdom with Christ as their head and their king. And He will continue doing that until all of the elect are gathered. Now we look at the people of the church, we see a lot of differences, right? We see so many different gifts and distinctions. We see different skin tones. We see different heights and sizes and shapes. And uh, Some are intellectually brilliant. Others can do anything with their hands. We're very different. But we are united by that which truly matters, and that is the favor of our God. All of the members of the kingdom share in one Savior and King, Jesus Christ. All of the members of the kingdom share in one hope, the hope of eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. All the members of the kingdom share in one goal, which is to glorify God in all the earth. Ephesians 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's who we are in Christ. That's what it means to belong to the kingdom. We are one. And as one, as one we are a crown of beauty, says Isaiah, in the hand of the Lord. And a royal diadem in the hand of our God. He delights in us. Imagine, God delights in His people, in all of their differences, in all of their distinctions. He delights in us. He rejoices over us. He celebrates each one whom He has gathered together and all of them together. In the light of that which unites us, the many things that separate us are insignificant. In the light of the fact that God has gathered and celebrates us, everything else pales 
into nothing. And having gathered us, the Holy Spirit keeps us. He protects us from our enemies. We have enemies in this world. Satan hates us. He longs to see us snatched away from God. The unbelieving world scorns us because our joy and our growing holiness reminds them of what they have rejected. And even our old sinful nature tries to drag us back into the sin that once enslaved us. Left to ourselves, we couldn't stand for a moment. But remember what Isaiah 62 said. God has posted watchmen on the wall. He's the one who looks out for our enemies, who protects us against those who would destroy. And he promises, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine. That's what happened in the exile, isn't it? They had worked hard to put up food and wine and livestock for their future, to provide for their families, to provide for their families' families. But their enemies swooped down and stole it all away. And he says, nevermore. Your enemies, not just physical enemies, but your spiritual enemies... Satan who longs to snatch away all of the learning that you've done about God. The world that longs to undo all of the holiness that you have attained. They won't succeed. Because the Holy Spirit is the watchman on the walls. He is guarding us. He's watching over us. He's protecting us. And he's ensuring that we will day by day be motivated to draw closer to our King. To learn about Him. To serve Him. And that leads us into our second uh, point. Not only have we been gathered into a kingdom that enjoys God's favor, we've been gathered as a body that loves God's saints. Scripture uses a variety of terms to describe who we are as the people of God. Kingdom, community, temple, priesthood, family of God. But perhaps none is as emphatic regarding our mutual dependence as the term body. A body is dependent on all its parts, isn't it? All the parts are very different. An elbow is certainly not the same as a hip, is certainly not the same as a big toe. But all of those parts depend on all of the other parts. And every part is equipped uniquely to bless the whole. In places like 1 Corinthians 12, where God describes his people as a body, he emphasizes to us, we all have been united into a shared life, a shared purpose, a shared dependence on one another. And this too is the Spirit's work. We have that unity together because of the Spirit's work in bringing us into the body. He's the one who called us. He's the one who brought us to this place. This is the local manifestation of the body, right? Why are you here and why are you here? How did each of these families, each of these members become parts of Grace United Reformed Church? Every one of us has a different story, don't we? Some of you were born into it. I didn't have a choice. I just followed mom and dad. But others, it was because of a move. It was because you grew up and married and you wanted to set out a little on your own. Others, you had struggles where you were. Or you had some spiritual growth that led you to a new place. Each one of us has different stories, but the Holy Spirit has been at work in all of that so as to bring each one of us together. And each one of us, as different as we are, is necessary for this manifestation of the body. The gifts that you were given 
are gifts that this body needed. The needs that you have that you might not have even seen yet. There's somebody else in this body that was given gifts to minister to that. And all of that is the work of God manifested in the Holy Spirit. In in Isaiah 62, he says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. You see, that's God's goal. In each manifestation of the body, in each congregation where he gathers his people. He wants us to grow in righteousness, to be built up in holiness. And to that end, he's put us in one another's lives. You've heard the phrase iron sharpening iron. Well, not just any iron can sharpen any other piece of iron in the body of Christ. We need particular people with particular gifts and particular character in order to minister to us in this particular point of life. And God has put those people in this body for your sake, even as he's put you there in this body for theirs. You couldn't be ministered to in another place the way you can be ministered to here because of the way the Holy Spirit has placed it all, has organized us. Together, we are called to grow up into holiness. Together, we're called to grow into the unity of Christ. And He's the one who's doing that. Think of the gifts that He's given us. 1 Corinthians 12 says that each one was given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But we're not all given the same manifestation. Some of the gifts we have, we all have. We all have the gift of holding one another accountable. We all have the gift of setting an example of holiness. We all have the gift, the the ability to encourage and to forgive and show love to one another. Now, we do that in slightly different ways, but we all have those gifts, right? We all have the gift of understanding God's Word and of, to some degree, teaching that Word. And we're called to use those gifts in the ways that God provides. Some of you have been given opportunities to teach. Others have been given the opportunity to come alongside of someone in a mentorship of some sort. God has done that so that we can build up, so that we can use those common gifts that we have. But we also also have unique gifts. Some are given gifts of counseling or mentoring. Now those are unique gifts that God calls us to use for the good of the body, for the the good of the whole. Some have gifts of discernment or a passion for God's holiness that suit them well to being elders. Others receive gifts of hospitality and service that, that fit them well for the diaconate. Still others might receive gifts of working with their hands or of networking or of money management or of people management. What God calls each one of us to do is to discern what gifts has he given us, which can change over time. But what gifts has he given us and how can I use that to serve others? Understand that's not something we can necessarily do by taking a quiz, figuring out, oh, here's my five spiritual gifts and possibly a sixth. No. We learn what those spiritual gifts are as we evaluate what we're good at, but also as we ask God to give us opportunity. 
Because all of a sudden he puts somebody in your life who has a need and you discover, I think I can meet that need. You might never have done so before. You might never have recognized that gift, that ability within yourself, but suddenly, because that opportunity is there, you develop it. And you build up the body of Christ through the use of that gift. I want to suggest to you, brothers, no, I want to flat out state it. Every one of you has been given a gift for the good of the church. Not just one, a bunch. And we're called to ask the Lord to give us opportunities to use them. Now we go through seasons. There are seasons where you are ministered to. Seasons where you're weak. Seasons where you need people to come alongside of you and lift you up and help you. And that's great. That strengthens you. That equips you. But there are other seasons where you don't need to be supported. You need to be supporting others. You need to be helping others. You need to be pouring yourself out for those who once poured themselves out for you. So on those times when you're feeling not weak, when you're feeling well supported, we need to be on our knees asking the Lord, open my eyes to see whom I can help. Open my eyes so that I can recognize where I can use my gifts, where I can build up the body of Christ, because the Holy Spirit is in you to that end, to equip you, to guide you, to show you, to to give you the courage. It's hard sometimes to come alongside of somebody and say, can I help with that? It might be something as simple as seeing that older couple that's just having a hard time uh, keeping their house up, or that young couple that really needs a night out, but they can't find somebody to babysit that many kids easily, right? It might be something simple like that. It might be something harder. Somebody who's really struggling with their their finances and they need somebody to come alongside of them and help them figure out how to manage the gifts God's given them. Or it might be somebody who's really struggling in their marriage or struggling with their children and they need somebody who's been through it and who's come out the other side who can speak words of hope and assurance to them and walk down that path, help give them some strategies from God's word to see how God will get them through that. Whatever it looks like, God will use you through the Holy Spirit to minister to one another. Believers, one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with Him and share in His treasures and gifts. And each member should consider it a duty, but I would say also a privilege, to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. As the Lord says in, through Peter, In 1 Peter 4, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Young people understand, when you're there for one another, when you're strengthening and supporting and building and holding accountable, it is God who receives the glory, because you couldn't have done that on your own. He's the one who gives you the strength. He's the one who makes your efforts effective. But recognize, too, that the Holy Spirit unites us not only in the work of our hands, 
He unites us also, and even more powerfully, in the faith and the hope that He implants in our hearts. And so the last point that we see here is that He gathers us as a congregation that receives God's Son. See, the Holy Spirit works among us to show us our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ is not something that we can discover, discern, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who brought us together. He's the one who has to convince us of who we are. And that identity, A, it's important, and B, it doesn't happen overnight. You understand what I mean by our identity as Christians? There are multitudes in this world who want us to identify according to their rubric, their ideals. They want you to identify as a conservative or as a liberal. They want you to identify by this sin or by that cause. They want you to identify by your nationality or by your race. There's all kinds of things they want you to identify yourself as. And that will shape and mold and guide who you are and how you speak and what you do. God says your identity is that you are a new creation in Christ. He says that your identity is that you are a member of the kingdom of God. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are a child of the heavenly father and a brother of Christ or a sister of Christ. But there's so many other voices calling out that that identity can easily get lost. And so the Holy Spirit fosters within us, as part of the body, fosters within us that identity. He does that, fathers, as you're leading your family in devotions. He uses you to foster that identity that Christ is essential to who we are in the children around that table. He fosters that identity Young people, as you gather and you study the Bible together and you wrestle with what it means for you and what it means for you together, and you help each other to recognize that being a Christian means that we're different, He fosters that identity, certainly as we're sitting here in worship, but also as we're, we're wrestling with those truths together in catechism, or in cadets and girls of grace, or in young peoples and young adults. God wants us to wrestle with what does it mean to be part of Christ? What does it mean to belong to the Lord? The more we wrestle with that, the more we come to grips with what that means, the more we will celebrate the fact that He says, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Or later on in Isaiah 62, They shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. You shall be called sought out and a city not forsaken. Did you ever think of that? This is who God says you are. The holy people. The ones who are set apart from the mass of mankind and uniquely devoted to the Lord your God to be His people who delight in Him and in whom He delights. That's who you are. You are the redeemed of the Lord. The ones whom God the Father set apart from before all time for whom He sent His Son to suffer the pains of hell and to triumph even over death so that you could belong to Him. You are the people sought out, the ones to whom He sent His Spirit and His people. 
He orchestrated all the details of your life so that you would come to recognize your misery and your need, but also the love of God and His generous mercy. You are a people not forsaken because He has promised never will He leave you, never will He forsake you, and no one can snatch you from His hand. That's who you are. That's what you are. And that's the identity that the Holy Spirit is knitting together within you. But again, he doesn't do it alone. This is why not only worship, worship is essential. To that we were called, for that we were made. But this is why catechism and fellowship meals and chili cook-offs and cadet camping trips are absolutely important. Because these are the things that foster within us both the young and the old. A grasp of our truest identity. My identity is not primarily that I am a Barnes. My identity is not primarily that I am a Michigander. My identity is not primarily that I'm an American. I love America. That's not the heart of my identity. My identity is that I belong to God. My identity is that I am holy in the sight of God, that I am sought out and chosen, that He sent His Son to redeem me. That's who I am. That's what I am. And the more time that I spend among God's people being fostered in that, the more the Holy Spirit will convince me that that is who I am. And the more that's my identity, the harder it will be for the devil to get a foothold in my life. The harder it will be for the world to draw me away. The harder it will be even for my old nature to draw me back into that sin that once enslaved me. We are a people gathered as a congregation, a congregation that receives God's Son. We need each other. We desperately need each other if we are to stand in this world that stands opposed to us. In this world that is unrelenting in its calling out to lead us astray. God has been immensely gracious to not leave us alone. But he sends his spirit to gather us into a kingdom, to unite us as a body to join us together and foster our identity as the congregation that receives the Son of God. Let us delight in that. Let us take every, every, every opportunity to foster that. And brothers and sisters, let's thank God that He sent His Spirit, that He dwells among us by His Spirit, so that we won't stand alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and we praise You that you have not left us to our own devices, but that instead you have given us your Spirit and through your Spirit have given us one another that we might serve you together as a kingdom, serve one another together as a body and find our identity together as the congregation of your Son, Jesus Christ. Make this to be our passion Make this to be our identity. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.